Any idea what you want to talk about today? Uh, not, not a ton of idea. Sweet. On that note. Hey, flush the toilet. Too busy to flush. Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for being here. We're delighted to have you join us around our digital table, if you will, and just kind of live life and experience life along with us in a world where people are weird and hard as we raise four children and attempt to do good works with our hands and, um, what was I contemplating this morning, live a... Just a thriving life that God's given us to live. Like he designed us for this earth. He designed us for this place, for this community. And just to do that really, really well. To live your best life now, if you will. Forgive me (laughs) for stealing the phrase. Um, Uh, No, you're reclaiming the phrase in an appropriate way. Oh, good. Just like we reclaim the the rainbow. We reclaim the word gay. uh, All the things that were God's to begin with. We put our stake in the... I don't really believe that the word gay, as in Mary, is ever going to make a comeback Agree. in my lifetime. I agree. But anyway, if this is your first time joining us and you don't know what we're going to talk about, because we don't know what we're going to talk about, it's the whole point of the show. Um, you can look through the show notes. I have a time-stamped roadmap of everything that we have discussed. And generally, they're, it's like it's providential or something turns out that there's a theme of some sort mm. somewhere. So um, go ahead and take a look at that. See if it's anything of interest to you. Otherwise, grab a cup of tea. I am a uh, shameless product placement. I am drinking my... We don't actually get sponsored. I do get a referral, like $10 off coupon. But um, I'm drinking my peak green tea again I am also today. drinking your peak green tea. Ooh. So you're having a metaphorical cup of tea with us today. Mm. You could make yourself a cup of tea too. Or you could just keep on doing whatever you're doing. Yes. I think I mentioned it on the last show, but I switched back to tea in the mornings, except this morning I was really wanting just a cup of coffee. And so I had three, I think. Because <laughs> when you go, you go hard. You know, 120%, 110% as they say. Speaking of 110%, those of you who didn't know I was in a band, um, I left my band yesterday because i couldn't make the commitment um and my band leader had said that she goes 110 percent on these things now that this is her only band so she wants to get good bookings all the things and i said as you should i would love to join you in that effort but i do not have the capacity to uh carve out regular rehearsal time, time. And especially already, because she was wanting to rehearse on wednesday evenings yeah and i'm already booked on wednesday evenings through the end of july or something june i don't know and end of july i've got when... I've got touring gigs scheduled already, and so it's like, I I can't, I just, those are my priority right now, so. Will you be able to play your bass after your shoulder surgery? No, I will not. For like six six weeks or six months? Weeks, four to six weeks in a sling, and then after that it's um, just PT and and healing and stuff, so. Um, Yes, I have decided, I think I'm going to have shoulder surgery um, I don't... I, Have we I been talking about this called... ongoing saga on here? I don't... I don't So you guys, know. about 
about a year ago, JR injured his shoulder <clears throat> doing ski patrol work at our local ski hill. He was pushing a giant... A volunteer. Um, but you were you were paid last year. Yes, I was paid last year. And he was working on getting a big mat around the base of a lift tower. Called tower pads. So when people smack the tower pads, they only They bounce off pad. instead mm-hmm. of... Uh, Absorbing the shock in their body <clears throat> of uh, a fixed metal it, object. <laughs> but after after consultation, uh, it was determined that he had injured his bicep tendon, and which you can Google where that is. It's, it's the long tendon, the one that sits in a little. There's a little channel, a little groove that it sits in. So because it, I don't I don't remember how much we talked about your ACL surgery back in 2020. But we had started podcasting early 2020, Mm -hmm. and then JR had ACL surgery. He blew his ACL doing judo, and he, um, although it wasn't, it wasn't ACL surgery when you went in, because they, you didn't do an MRI. No, he went in to fix the meniscus, because he was, he was convinced that the, the pain I was getting, which is true, was all from a meniscus tear. And he said, if your ACL is bad do you want me to repair it i said we signed paperwork that yes we wanted that also done <clears throat> turned out that the meniscus had some shreds coming off of it that would like it had been damaged but was not torn but the acl was obliterated so he did a full acl reconstruction took some of your hamstring tendon and rethreaded it through a hole in your bone which releases stem cells from your bone which helps it to read like the the new ACL to generate it's you guys, the science of it is very cool. How your body can, can re can regrow and heal, but then also how God has allowed minds and technology to figure things out. Like, well, we're going to drill this hole through the shin in order to thread this new ACL through it. But also, it just so happens that when we drill through that, we tap into bone marrow, which is going to release stem cells, which is going to help this to the new tendon to or the ligament to be a living thing. Which, anyway, when I, I appreciated that when the doctor was telling us this, he was actually as much in awe of this as we were that our bodies can work in this way. Anyway, uh, JR inherited from his mom not responding well to anesthesia and it takes him days literal days to get it out of his system and we've discovered this through a couple of procedures that he's had but he in the meanwhile he was getting a cough and this was they say (laughs) this was they say they say so this was early march of 2020 yep early march so there was this this weird dry cough thing going around in China when JR went in for his anesthesia. And we were joking with the anesthesiologist because we were like, yeah, it's a dry cough. You can't have anesthesia if you have a wet cough because being under for that long and not breathing well puts you at risk for pneumonia. And so JR had this dry cough and they were like, well, at least it's not this thing going around in China, the dry cough, but, and it, and it's a dry cough. It's not a wet cough. So he, he had the surgery and 
like three days after you had the surgery, all of America shut down for COVID. Yeah. I Our, remember watching the COVID dashboard on my tablet laying in bed. It, his dry cough evolved into a very deep wet cough. He couldn't sleep lying down because of the cough. He couldn't sleep sitting up because his leg was completely locked out because of the ACL surgery. And so he basically didn't sleep, but just got sicker and sicker from this apparently, cough. Apparently Molly would wake me up in the middle of the night and give me pain meds and let me go back to sleep. I don't remember that at all. Do you, there were a couple other things. So our kids all came down with some variation of something that resembled the thing going around in China, but probably wasn't, uh, the like they were coughing, they were hallucinating. One of our kids took off all of their clothes and went out into our garage and went to the bathroom in the garage. And I was, we had, I think it was then we had some severe earaches where kids just laid on the couch. I'm con- I'm screaming. not unconvinced that we didn't have COVID. COVID. I I don't point. know. Anyway, um, we anyway. Uh, it was miserable. It was an absolutely miserable few months. And so when all of that to say, we're very surgery averse. And when JR's doctor prescribed PT last spring for the bicep tendon, rather than immediately rushing to surgery, we were like, yes, let's do this. But after a year of PT, literally a year of almost weekly PT, mm-hmm. JR still has very limited mobility and strength. And still a lot of pain. And so he went back in for an MRI and the doctor said, yeah, you have what? The bicep tendon is partially torn. And not staying in its channel, right? We'll get there. AC joint is partially torn. Rotator cuff is partially torn. Subscap is partially torn. And I have arthritis pressing into some of that stuff. The doctor had said, look, if this was anybody else your age with no other signs or symptoms... And they just wanted to come in and be like, hey, I'd like to look at my shoulder. Uh, he would have, he would expect to see what he saw on my shoulder just from age, use, activity, that sort of thing. That said, there is enough left of the long bicep tendon. Uh, there is enough gone that it is causing the tendon to slip in and out of the channel, which is a large source of the pain um, I experience. And I've had inflammation there now solid for like six months. So... Um, I wasn't. We were going to try hitting PT again, and that's what we decided after the follow-up, MRI follow-up, and after a week of contemplating and talking to people and thinking about it, I'm like, nah, let's just get in there and get it all put back together. So so if you, if if well, you guys will know in advance, but we will probably be on a hiatus from recording for at least a couple weeks. Maybe. I mean, I can still work at the... I still plan to work at the computer in a sling. I plan for you to be, like, sick and out of it because of the anesthesia. Well, for a day or two. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the one who has to live with you and take care of you after the surgery. No, you're so great. We're just prepping for when we're really old. Ugh. Yeah. We got to keep a kid around here. Should have another one. And we'll just always have a kid when we get old. No, 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 no. We need a grown kid who can handle themselves. Speaking of kids growing up and handling themselves, this in in happier news. This last weekend, we went to. I think we talked about this last week. We went to, uh, up to Whitefish, Montana, which is about 
in good weather, it's a little less than an eight-hour drive uh, this weekend for our first ever family ski vacation. This is big news, you guys. We None of our kids had ever skied anywhere but our little local mountain in Whitefish. Destination ski vacation. First ever destination ski. As we've done, to... we've done, well, skiing, we've done skiing as a family a bunch. But we've never gone anywhere else. No. Yeah, that's what I mean. So yeah. our kids had never skied another ski resort. And they they watch skiing on what's the what's the show that they like? Is it a YouTube channel? Stoke the Fire. That's a yeah, that's a ski ski film. Okay. So they they like to watch ski films on YouTube and on other things and they Red ski Bull. these. The kids watch a lot of Red Bull TV. Interesting people doing crazy things and they um so it was kind of a big deal, especially for our older our older ones. Titus, have we told new listeners how many kids we have? Did you I mentioned mention it at the beginning. We have four. Four. That's They're right. thirteen, eleven, nine, and five. Okay, go ahead. Carry on. Uh, anyway, um, so so we stayed with our friends Pete and Kim, who live up there, and uh, Pete is a very avid skier and acted as our tour guide, and Kim and I hung back with Faith. Faith was the only one who didn't really appreciate or enjoy the new mountain thing. She, she got caught up in some of the excitement with the other kids, but at five, she got there. So it's Montana, but it's Pacific Northwest Mon. Like it's more part of the, uh, eco, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The climate of the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And the whole mountain was socked in with fog, fog basically the crazy. whole day we were there. And poor Faith, we get to the top of the mountain and she couldn't see where she was going and it was icy and she just completely freaked out. She was terrified to go anywhere. Uh, she, she warmed up after she a while. She warmed up after a while, uh, went in phases of having a blast and being a little intimidated. And then the last run of the day, it was getting icy again and sun had gone down and she, she kind of lost it again. But all in all, it was a good start to actually being able to ski fun stuff with our kids. And it's it's fun to have kids growing up. And, you know, little kids are cute, but they're a ton of work. And bigger kids have more personality, more engagement, and you start to see some of the fruit of your labor. So anyway, uh, we... We had a great weekend, had to, not had to, we chose to stay in Kalispell an extra day because as you guys probably know, we drive a camper van on our trips and it was 70 plus miles an hour sustained winds for most of what would have been our drive home. It was like 50 sustained, 75 plus gusts. And that same drive hit 90 yesterday, which is utterly wild. Insane. That's the sort of weather that's like blowing semis off the road. And I'm like, no, we're, we're not. I, I'll deal with snowy, whiteout conditions before I deal with those kinds of high winds. Because driving a van in those kind of winds is like driving a sailboat down the highway. So anyway, we stayed an extra day, which has made our school week a little bit challenging because we only have a couple of days to hopefully try to cram in a whole week of school. Uh our focus this week, I was going to get us past World War One into the the Roaring Twenties, and then we're going to start working on the Great Depression, which, hey, here's a request for you guys out there. I'm going to head to the library soon, 
And I'm curious if there are any good children's books about the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. Uh, and I'm not talking, I'm talking like middle length, like the sort of thing that a third grader through a fifth grader could really understand and not be super depressed by, but but grasp the gravity of what was happening in America as a result of the Great Depression. And um, yeah, uh, I, I'm aware, you know, the Grapes of Wrath and whatnot, that's that's too much. That's high school level reading, at least. And I'm looking for something that my third through fifth grader, maybe my seventh grader would be able to get. I, I mean, I'll go look at the library, but if anybody has any great recommendations, my initial research has not had anything real great pop up for me. But uh, but this week, to just today, we studied Mahatma Gandhi. Do you know what the what Mahatma means? It's not his first name. His first name was Mahandas. Do you know what Mahatma means? Uh, no. It's an honorific phrase that means uh, somebody who is valued for their high-mindedness or their spirituality. So it's like a term that is granted to somebody kind of like, uh, I can't think of an English one, like the very special, the very prized. It's not something like an earned title, like the magnificent reverend. Yeah, something like that. But uh, because of somebody being spiritual and high minded. So like our host, Pete, Pete, the magnificent spiritual. And Which I think it's more Kim, the magnificent because she puts up a Pete. That's true. Kind of like Molly, the magnificent. Mm -hmm. she puts up with me i don't think you can grant those titles to yourself um no um so as i was googling not googling looking up on youtube videos of gandhi that would be appropriate for the kids just to get an understanding of who he was you know just have a mental understanding so then the next time somebody mentions gandhi they just have a it's an important thing for people to know. Uh, about every other video on YouTube was like the secret life of Gandhi or why Gandhi was actually bad. And I didn't click on any of them because the kids were around. But also, I just don't have the mental space to try to figure out why people didn't like Gandhi. But I suspect that it was something kind of akin to why people don't like, you know, like Martin Luther King Jr. supposedly was a horrible womanizer and, um, you know, just was not as moral as we like to retrospectively look back on him and and say, you know, he was above reproach. It, you know, it it, uh, cancels out all the good he's done too. Well, I mean, for some people, that's a joke. Some people would say that it does. You know, there's other people like, no. you know, didn't... the work is the work, regardless of the person that did it. I mean, obviously, obviously, I mean, because if you're, how do I say this? Um, we can. The celebrate... work still happened. The good stuff that they did still existed and still happened. And I think that as human beings, we have to take into account. I mean, just today, I'm talking to. Uh, if if you guys don't live with your heads in your in the sand, you're probably aware of the MSNBC personality person recently. It's been going around. All sorts of people have been reacting to it. 
appropriately so, but she basically was trying to describe or define what a Christian nationalist is. And she was like, look, there's Christians and there's Christian nationalists and Christian nationalists believe that their rights don't come from the Supreme Court or from a government. They believe that their rights come from God. So that's what distinguishes for her. When was the last time she read the Declaration? Well, I mean, that's that's what all these people have been going back to. Like, <laughs> yeah, that that actually is the foundation the whole for certain inalienable rights are endowed thing. by their creator with certain inalienable rights. <clears throat> so, right, like that level of ignorance is stunning, um, and it's not it's not just ignorance; it's willful ignorance as well as dereliction of duty by educators. And fact checkers for her side. All of these things. If you guys are curious about thoughtful responses to this, probably the main takeaway you should take away from that is if you don't call yourself a Christian nationalist, just as Pete said this weekend, just put on the lapel pen and get used to it. Because if you if you believe that you that your Christian values that you should be expressing those in the public sphere. As far as people like this MSNBC personality are concerned, you are a Christian nationalist. And if you are a so Christian... Is every other who is, Christian in the world living under a government. Exactly. Exactly. Basically, this there's one person that I saw responding who was like, yes, I am a Christian and I love my country. Apparently, that makes me a Christian nationalist. Um, there was another, there was a federalist piece. It's a horrible definition, but there was a federalist. Well, well, the point is if this federalist piece was like, look, it doesn't matter what your definition of Christian nationalist is. You can try to nuance it all day long. But the point is, as long as they can keep it without a clear definition, that means they can lump anybody whose views they want to smear or to keep out of the public sphere that means that they can uh, they can speak poorly of you and basically count out your viewpoint because you're this horrible thing that shouldn't be reckoned with, that shouldn't be even acknowledged in the public sphere. Sort of like the reason the Democrats say that Joe Biden shouldn't debate Donald Trump. Like, he's just so terrible, we can't even acknowledge his views. Same thing with Christian nationalists. And there were actually two pretty good Federalist pieces, response pieces that I saw, but that the end point is, you know what? Just unabashedly use your Christian values in every sphere of life, including the political sphere, because that's what God calls you to. And and don't pay attention to what they call you because they are going to try to either silence you or, uh, golly, why can't I think of the word? Uh you know, basically smear you to the point where other people dehumanize you and devalue your views because they've put this label on you. Anyone who acts consistently as a Christian in the public sphere is eventually going to be lumped into Christian nationalism. So just accept the label and move on. Um, so, but, but going back to before this rabbit trail... We're talking about the Declaration of Independence. We're endowed by our create with our by our Creator with certain inalienable <clears throat> rights. Um, you know, I was telling, I was trying to explain to my kids uh, the difference between India gaining independence from Britain 
and America gaining independence from Britain. And granted, this is a completely different era in history where colonialism was looked down upon in when by the time India gained its independence. And just to give you guys a point of reference, Gandhi was born during the Civil War. The American Civil War is when Gandhi was born. He died in 1948, so just after World War II. And so this is the era in which he is operating, which is an entirely different era than the War for American Independence in the 1770s and the 1780s, where the, and this is when colonialism was still rampant and considered a good thing by European countries looking all across the world. And, you know, there was a whole, America wasn't the only one working on, you know, uh, revolutionary things. You know, France had a revolution right about the time, same time as the American Revolution. And because they had a different philosophical foundation, theirs ended up being a disaster in a lot of ways where ours came out with these beautiful uh, best government documents to possibly have ever been created, like the Declaration of Independence, which, as I was trying to explain to our nine-year-old this afternoon, you know, they sent this, it was a letter that they sent to the King of England to say, we are declaring ourselves free from you because you are treating us as less than. We are under your foot. You are using us for your benefit rather than seeing us as equal human beings. Now, of course, there's deep, deep hypocrisy in that because America allowed slavery in order to create the sort of unity that they needed in order to fight off the British. They created a compromise on slavery and then kept pushing it back, pushing it back until it erupted into a civil war. And so the deep hypocrisy is we're all endowed by, you know, created equal by our creator, unless your skin is a lot darker than ours. And you happen to be from the continent of Africa, in which case you are property and less than. So there's that deep hypocrisy. And going back to where we were starting with, I, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, we we can honestly say, you know... The American, the Declaration of Independence is a fantastic document that's true. And also, people who wrote it were not acting in accord with the beliefs that they were professing because they were slave owners. We can say that Martin Luther King Jr. accomplished amazing things for civil rights in America because there was actual injustice taking place. And we can also say, you know, he was not a man of integrity in his personal life. So whatever these YouTube links for Gandhi, you know, would have led to, we can, and if any of you guys know what the complaints against Gandhi are, this will probably be out of my mind by dinner time tonight. But if, if you guys do, feel free to chime in and let us know if we should understand this more deeply. But whatever, whatever hypocrisies and flaws in his in, being a man of integrity that he had, he did seem to accomplish great things in leading a peaceful movement that gained independence for India from Britain. Well, it's not dissimilar to, I mean, <clears throat> I was, <laughs> I'm glad you brought this all back together because we started out talking about 
moral failings, you know, canceling out the good work that that person did, for instance, and you immediately went into the Declaration of Independence and Christian nationalism, like, where is she going with this thing? Um, but it's like Ravi Zacharias, you know, just all, it doesn't mean the people that came to the Lord under Ravi Zacharias's ministry or drew in the Lord under the, it doesn't mean they didn't do that. That didn't exist yes. because he failed. And we, in our own personal lives, I can, I'm not going to name them, but I can think of two people off the top of my head who have done great things for the Lord in bringing people to the Lord or in ministering to deep hearts in their lives and who have gone down in, in flames in terms of personal failings. And it, it leaves huge questions in people's minds, you know, about what, what was the validity of, of my own faith? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a spiritual child of this person. Or if they can do that, am I prone to doing that, you know, or whatever? Yeah. I think, I don't know that that that's the, the parent child thing. A lot of kids, if their parents went down with massive moral failings, like I think a lot of kids who get married and their parents were divorced, either don't want to get married or have great fear of being married because they feel like it's in their blood. Like it's actually in their DNA that they're doomed to failure in marriage or if their dad abandoned them uh, and they grew up without a father, they feel like they are doomed or at great. They live in great fear of falling down that path. Well, as let's well. say they're, let's say they're Gen X, Gen Xers like us. And we grew up in kind of, or at least I grew up in kind of a subculture of, of that's the one thing that is never going to happen or can't happen because you're a Christian. You don't get divorced. Like you just don't do it. Because it's a, it speaks to your, it speaks to your ability to even be saved. Yeah. To even be saved. So, I mean, that's the culture I grew up in. And I know other people that have grown up in that culture too. And then they end up getting a divorce. And if they've got kids, their response to that divorce for good or bad is going to have an effect on the kids and their perception of both Christianity and marriage. And so it kind of becomes this really crazy uh, mess. Another example, I, I couldn't cite these statistics right now, but statistically speaking, people who were in high school church youth groups and experienced a moral failing of a church leader during that season mm-hmm. cite that as the cause for them leaving the faith. And so just throwing in there, again, just the incredibly complex uh way that people can be seeming to do great things for the Lord. Oh, I just had another person pop into my mind. Like, I, I, oh, one. oh, there's another one. Hey, oops. yeah. Oh, I mean, third. yeah, I, I mean, it's, um, it, it makes life really complicated, but it also, I mean, now I'm thinking of King David, you know, <laughs> I mean, he was a man who, you know, the Lord describes as a man after his own heart. Like you can't get more, a higher description of a godly man. I'm thinking Moses, you know, who walked face to face with the Lord, uh, David, a man after my own heart. And then Jesus, you know, like, those are the, you know, the, the high points in the Bible when we're talking about godly people. And yet David, had tremendous moral failings as as a, as a leader of Israel, as a husband, as a representative of God to his people, as a father. I mean, he was an abysmal father. 
in a lot of ways. And yet, you know, overall, the picture of David that we have in Scripture is he's a man after God's own heart. And so to try to parse out for people who are struggling with that tremendous complexity of assurance of salvation and a personal relationship with the Lord that, you know, takes into account the way that people have blessed you and spoken into your life and led you to the Lord while also taking into account that they are sinners and sometimes fall away from the Lord and do not seem to come back. Um, you know, Ravi Zacharias would be an example of that. You know, like there, every other example that I'm thinking of in my mind right now, those people are still alive. I, there's, yeah. And, um, I think there's, there's a, there's a risk in, there's a risk in the false belief that because we are Christian or because somebody is a Christian, they will not, they will not fail. And I mean, I, I think we kind of all inherently sort of know that, like we're all fallible beings. We say it all the time, but in practice, we don't always live like we believe it. And so when something does happen, it's like, whoa. Well, it's also... But you don't have... I mean, you also got to have the robust understanding of the Christian faith and Christian theology to... Yeah, as a Calvinist, it's also very hard to believe, you know, you know, no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You know, Mm -hmm. if you are mine, if you are Christ's, nothing can snatch you out of his hand, but you, your deceitful heart can make you think that you're Christ's. And your deceitful heart can cause you to leap out of his hand because you think that there's something better out there. But um, I know that for, especially for people in the reform tradition, it's very challenging to try to process somebody who's fallen away because the part of us that believes in total bra- depravity is like, yes, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And I, my heart is an idol factory, but also how do I have assurance of salvation if I see this person who was a spiritual father to me who has fallen away and does not seem to be on a path to be coming back to the Lord, uh, it's, I don't know that we have an easy answer to that. We just have to point ourselves and other people to, to constantly searching your heart, repenting, trusting in the Lord. Don't take for granted, you know, I'm a believer and I'm always going to be a believer. And I think the other component in here is putting yourself or putting someone putting someone else into a place of God. So, you know, it it's not a secret in America right now that there seems to be a sifting of church leaders. And this is at individual church levels. I got a friend not too long ago send me screen grabs from a Facebook group of wives of church leaders in her city. And a lot of the wives were um, almost seeming to revel in the takedown of church leaders in other churches in their city where they had had some sort of spiritual failing and not necessarily. A that devast- wife obviously wasn't in part of the group. She was, she was a part of the group, but she was very upset at these people, I mean, at at the very least, the the way they were talking felt very gossipy. 
like what's going on mm. in another church. And this has to do with how in this particular case, it was how the church leaders had dealt with sin among of a church member. And what happened was the church member, it seemed to be that the leadership was overlooking sin, like a sexual abuse sort of sin, uh, of the of the perpetrator at the expense of the victim. And because people were unhappy with how the church leaders had dealt with it, they went more public with it than a lot of church leaders would feel was appropriate. And this friend of mine was likewise saying, I don't think it's appropriate for them to be discussing something that should be a, a church family matter. And so she was upset at these women for seeming to be very gossipy. And um, they also uh, are, their their posture is more egalitarian than complementarian. You know, this is kind of inside baseball language, but these these women didn't think that church leadership should be just men. And so they were saying, if women were in leadership here, we wouldn't see these men taking advantage of or overlooking the pain of women was was one of their points. And she wanted my feedback on that, which was the main reason that she sent it to me. But I think that there's a lot of that in America and it's not specific to just one denomination, but there's a there's a bit of a reckoning of church. Is this in our city? No, it's not. What it's city? in a, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it's. I. I will definitively say though, if you are Sorry. listening to me and you live in Billings, Montana, I am. <clears throat> I am not talking about our city. Um, and, but, but I do just you know. I mean, Jared and I laugh about Julie Roy's the. What did you call her? Well, she's just the church take. She's like the pastor takedown lady. Yeah, she's just, she's just, she's so a, she does. The, she has takedowns. And, and and there's there's kind of a place for some of what moral she, leader takedowns. Yeah, there's kind of a place for some of what spiritual, she does. Spiritual leader takedowns. Yeah. Because there's 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 a way in which church leaders want to protect themselves from uh, from reputational damage. They want to protect their congregation from things that they don't necessarily think should hurt them. Sort of like if you and I, you know, I'm just trying to think of a hypothetical example if you and i have a you know every appliance in our house goes out at once and we have to drop a couple grand and it blows our budget and super stresses us out that's not hypothetical that happened when we moved in that did. <laughs> um you know but i'm just trying to think you know something some sort of relatively yeah. devastating financial thing we're not going to we're gonna try to shelter our kids from feeling terrified about our finances, you know, like that's as Corey Tenboom says, like her, her dad had this example of this very, very heavy suitcase. And he said, I will share the things that are weighty when you're strong enough to carry them. Mm. Um, you know, and so I think the same is true in a congregation that we don't, that a congregation shouldn't necessarily have to carry all the weighty things that church leaders are dealing with. And so there's an appropriate way in which church leaders want to be confidential and also keep the congregation running smoothly with things that are above their pay grade, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a, you know, they're not special enough, but just like, well, we, some stuff isn't really, uh, polite. Well, yeah, I don't necessarily either. mean polite, but I mean, kind of like, I mean, just like a parent, 
you know, our kids don't need to know all the problems in the world and stress about, you know, I mean, truthfully, this is Greta Thunberg's problem, right? Like she's been, she's had crippling anxiety about the climate since she was like three. And so she's, you know, at the, the best way of looking at her, she's dealing with her anxiety through activism. I think she's also a pawn and making money off of it. And her parents are profiteering from her and possibly globalist elites are also profiteering from her. But at the best way of looking at it, why was, why did a young child three, four, five years old have crippling anxiety about the climate? It wasn't affecting her day-to-day life. She should not have been given a suitcase that was too heavy for her to carry. Likewise with gender issues that, you know, just going to throw that one out there. That is too heavy of a suitcase for a three, four, five-year-old to carry. Three, four, five-year-old needs to be learning that dog has a penis. That dog is a boy. Like their brains are black and white. Their brains are binary for a reason. Uh, Where was I going with this? (laughs) I have no idea. You're on a roll though. I guess so. I didn't even think I had anything to say today. Um, no, I, so I think there's a bit of a reckoning in church leadership because I think that it's appropriate for church leaders across the country. And I'm speaking specifically about America right now to understand if we obfuscate justice, it, because we are trying to protect ourselves or people to whom we are partial, there is, that is a violation of how God is calling us to act as church leaders And there will, of course, there will be a reckoning on the day of judgment for how we have conducted ourselves as church leaders. But there is also a possibility of there being a reckoning here reputationally on earth. And so if a church has protected a perpetrator at the expense of a victim on a local level, I have no problem with somebody in the church talking to a newspaper, talking to other people in the higher up in the denomination, as it was in the case of my friend, uh, it had gone to the presbytery level and, you know, or even speaking, speaking publicly about it, because when you have violated justice, you don't get the privilege of confidentiality and protection anymore, in my opinion. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Kind of like Me Too. I mean, Me Too is a whole other thing, and I'm not going to go there. But um, all of that to say, it, yeah, it's it's very complicated then. Like if somebody were part of a church where the church leaders end up kind of in disgrace because they have not pursued justice in a way that accords with God's law and in a way that meets, truthfully, societal standards— uh, it becomes very confusing to be a member of that congregation unless you have a really robust truth-seeking and identity founded in reality and in the reality of who God is and how he acts in the world despite the sins of his people. That segues... <laughs> into something I've been musing on just for a couple of hours now. But uh, on our Telegram channel, uh, there's been a discussion about AI, artificial intelligence and image generation and things like that. And um, somebody posted a deep fake video of Biden 
calling for a draft. And if you watch the video, and it's posted by somebody on Twitter who is like, you know, has got the blue check and, you know, is a legit person. And he watched it and was fooled, uh, is my interpretation of it. Basically saying Biden says to combat Russia and Iran, we will invoke the Selective Service Act and we'll be drafting men and women who turned 20 in the fall of 2023 or in 2023. Um, and if you if you don't think to Google it, it looks 100% legit. Like my first reaction was like, like my face got hot and flushed reading it. Uh, And like this feeling of, holy cow, what's going on? Panic. And wow, we are entering an age where figuring out what is true and what is real and how to base our actions is getting really difficult. So... This morning, I have a newsletter that Molly's brother turned me on to, uh, a libertarian newsletter where he just kind of rants about things. I can't recommend it in good conscience, but um, I enjoy reading it most mornings. And he had posted about, he was ranting about, he started talking about how plagues and certain things throughout human history have been overcome. And they have been overcome not through legislation or anything like that, but through knowledge, through training, training children to wash their hands, figuring out, oh, let's avoid the mice because the mice carry these, you know, the rats carry the disease, that sort of thing. So he was talking. So what happened was there's a Beverly Hills middle school. Somebody had deep faked a bunch of the students imagery pictures over pornographic images and then spread them out through the school. And so these kids have obviously, because every kid in America now has a cell phone. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they have pictures of their fellow students in pornographic, uh, in pornographic, situations. pornographic situations and imagery. But they're not um, real. But they're not they real. Seem, there but is... they seemed totally real. Yeah. Apparently. And so this launched a whole thing where, oh, guess what? They're discussing legislation because, well, that's going to help because we don't have legislation against child pornography already, you know. Um, but anyway... In the newsletter, his he was he then went on to talk about how we need to be training kids that you can't believe now. Like we've got to teach our children that just because they see it in a photograph doesn't mean or it's a real. video does not mean it's real. And you know, I, I mentioned this a couple uh, like maybe a month ago. I saw um, some uh, a video come through Threads where a guy had he was working with the animation software Unreal Engine. And there's a brand new, um, a brand new engine software development with Unreal Engine, Unreal Engine Five, that has just taken the realism to the next level. So he uh, he put a picture of a burning car in the middle of a photo of of like Tehran or something like that, and then panned around it and said the car is complete. This whole thing is CGI except wow. for the photo. It looked 100% real. Yeah. Um, and we can't. So like, we're we're coming almost full circle to like, you know, you know, testimony, like personal experience anymore. You can't believe what you see or read or hear on the news. And I'm increasingly... I don't think, do you think it's kids that are going to have to be trained that? Or do you think it's people like our parents' generation? I think it's both. I think... I think well, it's all of us. Us, us and the millennials us. are going to be... We're going to be picking up and carrying on with our kids and saying, 
don't believe what you see on the internet. Don't believe what you see in a photograph. Just because they said it happened in Asia doesn't mean it happened in Asia. You can't, I mean, we already know we can't trust the media, but now we can't trust anything. Why would we trust anything on Twitter? <sighs> oh, look, these are actual images and video from what's going on. Yeah. No, they're not. I mean, we saw that with the other, well, that, that video was from, you know, Pakistan but, in right, but like now you four years ago, but, and they're using it to explain this. Yeah, now you can't even like do that because it's totally mm. fresh images. You know, you can't be yeah. like, wait a second, this doesn't match up. It's like free falling. You oh, yeah. can't you can't fact check necessarily anything without the eyewitness testimony of someone whom you trust. And who can, like, back their sources up? Yeah. And I, I, it's just going to throw with, with our, under, with our you know, you can look around the world and see everybody right now and how mob, how just dumb people are. That it's, it's just, this is going to go sideways in a hurry in the next five years, ten years. I agree. I um, still... I don't know where it's going to go. It's just going to go sideways in a hurry. I think it's actually going to force, I would predict maybe it will force people into... Uh, offline and more into local communities because this stuff it experiences over there, but it's not happening. My world is kind of fine right now, so I'm going to stay here. I th I think that it will it it will get worse before it gets better in that direction though mm -hmm. because people are going to have to be duped multiple times on a big scale before they go. You know what? I can't trust anything I see out there. What I'm going to come back to what I can control in my own life, which is you know my family, my local community, my food supply, whatever it is, they, you know, it's, it's people are going to have to get duped <clears throat> multiple times and then have their, how do I say this? Have their frame of reference so disrupted that it like breaks their circuits in order to have them reorient on a big enough scale that it matters for national and global politics. But that doesn't mean that we don't start reorienting ourselves in that way yeah. right now. You know, focus on your family, focus on the people ahead of you, focus, as you were saying at the beginning, on, you know, living a fulfilling life. Be there's, there's nothing about not being able to tell what's true out there. There's nothing new under the sun. Like, People have always been deceitful. People have that, you know, every civilization over history has tried to play God, has tried to control its people through deception. And, you know, this that doesn't even accept, you know, like read Kings and Chronicles it, that biblical characters are not an exception to this. God says, well, his people are in exile. The heart is deceitful above all things for a reason and wait where does god say that heart is deceitful above all things what's the reference for that now i'm second guessing myself um it and so i remember offhand yeah so it um it doesn't change the call the biblical call to live faithfully with where we are, you know, as God tells the exiles in Jeremiah, plant your gardens, marry, have kids, live fulfilling lives, wherever you find yourself in exile. And, 
It, Jeremiah 17, 9. So it also is in Jeremiah. And, you know, um, that's that's our call, even as we are to be as wise as serpents in for trying year, to know for, the times. For thousands of years, people have lived in, as far as we know, people have lived in ignorance of what's going on in the world around them. They wait months to hear about something or, <laughs> or weeks or whatever the case is. Now we just can hear the lies instantaneously. We don't have to yeah, wait. I mean, I, it does. Just, that's not it's to not say though kill that kill us for live, to live in ignorance. Yeah, that's that's not to say that what was going on globally wasn't impacting those people just because they didn't know. Right. They, there's that's not what I'm there's saying. actually no such thing as what you don't know can't hurt you. What what was going on? You know that the crusades that were being planned and that were going to tear through a little village. And just because that village didn't know there was an army coming, planning to come plow through them, doesn't mean that it wasn't going to affect them. And so there is a place for trying to gain knowledge and be wise in how we plan for the future. Uh, speaking of, this is like another segue, but they, you know, go to the ant, you sluggard, plan for the future. World Watch today had had something about termite uh tunnels and homes and mounds, whatever you call it, and how they are incredible architects, not just in terms of like their rooms and stuff, but in terms of airflow, because there are hundreds of thousands of tiny bodies moving rapidly and they create heat by their, by their movement, which means that they can actually heat their mounds very easily to the point where it's too hot and they all die <laughs> or then there's no fresh air for them. And so there's these incredible ventilation systems for air coming in and flowing out of a termite mound. And architects are studying that in order to try to come up with more efficient ventilation systems for human buildings. Your description there was a lot clearer than Elise coming down here with a notepad <laughs> with three things for me to read. And she's had something about people studying termite hills. And I'm like, yeah, but that's all she said. So I'm like, don't know. I had no context for anything. Yeah. just had very little information. I'm like, well, that's neat. So, so they had some of that information and what they were doing was more saying they've got this incredible architecture and humans are studying it to try to understand if we can do a better job of airflow in human buildings. But then I looked up more of a video because I had seen this on Instagram and it's really fascinating, but there's somebody who pours molten aluminum into anthills. I feel like I've seen this. I've shared it before because it's so interesting. And some of them, he started out with ones that were like two to three feet underground and he's ended up with some that are like 10 feet underground and he's pouring gallons and gallons of molten aluminum and it flows through the tunnels and then, then cools and solidifies into this crazy network of just tubes and stuff and then they dig it out and they wash it out and then you have this sculpture he turns them upside down and sells them as sculptures but so i wanted to show the kids one of those but then we ended up on a video that was some british commentator who actually crawled inside of a termite mound <laughs> like he's in this so nine as you could do that i well they had dug into it in studying it i don't know if it was empty or what but he's nine feet underground and this is a termite mound that's like six feet above ground too like you see these ones in africa where they're just like these massive things so it's like six feet above ground and they they like 
cultivate fungus to eat inside of their mounds. So they have to like feed the fungus and like have so they're the creating right... their own ginger beers. It, I mean, well, they're growing their own food in their mounds. Uh, so nine feet underground, the termite mound, like where they're living and working, stops. And then there's like this gap that they've cleared out. And then they have going down 14 feet more to the water table. They have more very open tunnels and they go down to the water table and they bring up mud and they pack it along the bottom edges of the of the actual termite mound and the evaporation cools it is basically an an evaporation refrigeration system for the entire termite mound super super fascinating it's just it is wild how incredibly complex it's been a long time since we've had a molly goes goes nuts over something the kids are studying Nerding out. Nerding out. I mean, in an you know, other than World War One being super depressing, yeah. Oh, I was gonna watch. Yeah, I still need to watch that show with the kids. Maybe this weekend. Yeah. You're gonna depress them. Yeah. Um. Okay. I am going to wrap up by sharing a chocolate milk recipe. Ooh. Uh, only because so you guys, some of you guys know, I buy raw milk now from the sister of a friend. And uh, because I have come to believe that raw milk is like a superfood versus traditionally processed milk can be very hard for your body because the pasteurization makes the molecules reconfigures them in a way that your body is less able to make the most of. So I basically let my kids have unlimited milk, like as much as they want to consume. It's a great balance of protein and fat and carbs. And if they want to have an evening snack of just milk, I'm fine with that. Uh, Some of them don't like the flavor of the raw milk. And so we do a lot of chocolate milk. And what I've been letting them do is they just take a spoonful of honey, a spoonful of raw cacao powder, which is why I need to go to Costco because we go through a lot of raw cacao powder. And then some hot water to mix it together because cocoa powder is hydrophobic, meaning that it doesn't easily mix. If you were just to put cocoa powder into milk, it would clump up and not mix in well. Mm. So you have to have the hot water helping it to emulsify or blend in, I guess. Um, So the gal that I buy the milk from was like, oh, have you, there's this YouTuber named Ruth Ann Zim who grew up Mennonite and now she has a homestead somewhere in the Midwest, like Ohio or Indiana or somewhere. And she w- has a recipe for making chocolate milk by the gallon. And you don't have to just have raw milk to do this. You could buy a gallon of milk at the store and do this recipe. But it's half a cup of cocoa powder, half a cup of sugar, half a cup of hot water, a dash of salt, and a splash of vanilla. And you use the hot water to mix everything together. And then you just add it to your gallon of milk. And I do kind of have to limit how much our kids will drink because the first day I made it, they drank half a gallon of chocolate milk right then and there. (laughs) Of course they did. And they keep saying, wow, this tastes just like store-bought chocolate milk, (laughs) which I guess, yeah, we used to buy chocolate milk for them at convenience stores when we were on road trips. So that's, I guess that's how they know. But anyway, if you're, for some whatever random reason in the market for a gallon at a time recipe for 
chocolate milk as apparently I was, uh, that's what, that's all you got to do. Half a gallon or half a cup of cocoa powder, half a cup of sugar, half a cup of hot water, dash of salt, splash of vanilla, mix it all together, mix it with your milk. And it is a freezing kid approved chocolate milk recipe. You could also just make the syrup and then add it to chocolate milk as you want. But as long as you're doing that, uh, you could also use honey and uh, make it even a little bit healthier. That's all nice. I got. Yeah. I like it. Well, um, you can find that recipe, you guys, in the show notes. We'll keep links to all the things we discussed and then other interesting links. I'll be updating the milk frother link while we're talking about chocolate milk. Because I've already uplet, updated it once, um, but Amazon just gets rid of products. So one of these days I'll go through our website and update all those too. Um, anyway. Uh, oh, speaking of products, we... I'm also going to buy a tortilla maker that's a oh. press and a cooker at mm-hmm. once. Uh, I'm going to buy one and try it out because there's a zillion of them on there. And if we like it... Uh, we'll share the link, but I'm excited to give that a try. It's, yeah, Kim had one this weekend while we were up in Whitefish, and it, it made was, funny little sounds. It Well... Like, what did I say? Screaming gnomes? Yelling, singing that, gnomes? You know why it made the funny sounds, though? Do yeah. you know why? Yeah, you told me why. Because, so you make the... A, a flour tortilla recipe has baking powder in it, and the point of baking powder is the leavener, so it makes your product expand and creates air bubbles... But it's not it, it. You're also pressing it at the same time, so it's essentially the same sound as if you're letting air out of a balloon that you've blown up, and you're squeezing the mouth mm-hmm. of it or the neck of it. Uh, it's it. It sounds just like a balloon being let out as the tortilla is being pressed and cooked at the same time. Yeah. But it was I was embarrassingly blown away at how. <laughs> easy it was for her to make a batch of fresh flour tortillas for our taco dinner that night nom so, nom yep nom nom well you can find those things in the show notes you guys and if you do want to get a hold of us and interact with us uh the number one way to do that is on telegram we have a private telegram chat group so that link is also in the show notes and you can also send us a message via our website uh too busy to flush all grammatically correct too busy to flush.com or tb the number two f dot com. Scroll all the way down, and you'll see a send us a postcard option. You can send us a postcard there. Um, while you're there, don't forget to check out the Swag Shack. We do sell apparel and swag. It's a good way to support our show. The other good way of supporting our show is using our referral links in show notes and things, and we have a few of them there. Other than that, we are a weekly podcast, but we um, we're inconsistently weekly. And uh, meaning we don't land on a certain day, certain time, any day. We just do it when this when it fits our schedule best. I was thinking about patrolling tomorrow, but I realized we have a Alberta Bear Theater concert that we bought tickets for, so I'll, I'll be going to that. I mean, it was a $6 ticket, so oh. it, there's not a huge loss if you choose to forego your ticket. Mm, yeah, I need to put in some time up on the hill. i got a few more days to put in. Anyway, um, you guys, it was wonderful being here. Thank you so much for joining us. The biggest compliment you can give us is to share us with your friends. The second biggest compliment is to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps out the algorithms. Um, preferably a good review. It's not a compliment if you leave us a bad review. So. That said, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, Molly? I don't. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>